This is The Other 14 Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 25 of The Other 14 Podcast, the only podcast that forgets all about the so-called Big Six and focuses just on the other 14 teams of the Premier League. This week, Leeds showed that they were up for this relegation fight. Two of our other 14 are in with a chance of silverware this season. And after 74 games in charge, Patrick Vieira was shown the door at Crystal Palace. <laughs> this week, as always, we're joined by Tom. Hello, Reese. Hello, Tom. Um, Tom, before we get into the biggest topics of the week, Tom, before we get into the biggest topics of the week, can I please have five words from you to sum up this weekend of football? A lot of red cards. Absolutely perfect. Mm. And first things first, over to Tom with the classified results for the game week. And here are the classified results from match week 28 of the Premier League 22-23 season. Nottingham Forest 1, Newcastle United 2. Aston Villa 3, AFC Bournemouth 0, Brentford 1, Leicester City 1, Southampton 3, 3, Wolverhampton Wanderers 2, Leeds United 4, 2, Everton 2, 4, Crystal Palace 1. Tom, thank you very much for those classified results. So, after just under two full seasons in charge, Patrick Vieira has been told to pack up and leave Selhurst Park. On Friday the 17th of March, Crystal Palace released the following statement. It is with enormous regret that this difficult decision has been made. Ultimately, results in recent months have placed us in a precarious league position and we felt a change is necessary to give us the best chance of retaining Premier League status. That said... Patrick's impact since joining us in the summer of 2021 has been significant and he is held in the highest regard by myself and all of his colleagues, said Steve Parrish. He led the team to a Wembley FA Cup semi-final and respectable 12th place finish last season, playing some exciting football, which was a challenging and crucial campaign for the club given the changes we made to the squad prior to his arrival. Patrick has given his all to the club and we all thank him and his team for their service. We also wish Patrick... Ossian, Christian and Saeed, the very best for their futures. This was on a Friday, not much more than 48 hours before their clash against Arsenal at the Emirates. Palace have not won in the new year and on this awful run of form, they set a Premier League record to become the first team to have three games on the bounce without having a single shot on target. But... Vieira has been given the boot with Palace sitting in 12th place, which, although it sounds like safety, they are now only three points off of the relegation zone. Tom, before we talk about Vieira's replacement, what do you make of the decision and, in particular, the timing of the decision? I don't get it. I really, really do not get it. I mean, let, let's let's roll it back a couple of weeks. So it's been a recurring sort of theme Um over the last couple of weeks on this on this pod that you know we've, we've discussed a little bit about Palace obviously their poor run um, to start the new year they haven't won at all in 2023 and I sort of put it out there last week and I think it was a little bit about the week before about what Palace fans sort of viewpoint was of Patrick Vieira does he have in it, it, it does Vieira have it in him to turn it around um, or we'd be given the time to. And my overall assessment of that at the time was that Palace being the club that Palace is, they tend to give managers time. They gave Roy at least sort of like four years, I think, with very sort of minimal success, um, just still very much mid-table. And they still find themselves 12th at the moment. Obviously, points-wise, they're pretty much um, staring relegation in the face because it is such a tight battle down there. Um, but... I, I just always assumed that Vieira would be given the time, um, especially considering the run of games that they have coming up. You know, they now play pretty much everyone um, in that bottom nine for the remainder of the season. I think they only they only have one more 
big six game um, coming up. And I think the other game that they have coming up is, I think I've got Villa on in my head. Uh, it's Fulham. Oh, it's Fulham. Um, so I, and especially the fact that it happened on the Friday, where I think the last game was... Uh, it was, was on the Wednesday game. they played Wednesday Brighton. Game. So if that was a win or get sacked game, then I mean it clearly wasn't. Um, otherwise, you know he'd be that he'd be out the door sort of Thursday morning. It's obviously happened. It's obviously happened Friday with Arsenal coming up at the weekend. None of it makes sense whatsoever, um, and it's very unpalace like I think for for this decision to be made. And it, it just, especially with no one sort of, obviously they've made the appointment now, but I wouldn't have thought that this was an immediate sort of replacement or someone that they had lined up ready to go. Um, obviously that being Robertson, we'll get onto that later. Um, it just screams panic from, from my perspective. Yeah. I think for me, it's crazy that the timing are twofold in terms of the timing. Firstly, where in the season, 10 games left after the, after the games, the run that they have had, and also why do it on the Friday before a game week weekend seems mostly bizarre. That is clearly, to me, it screams like there's been a really like big breakdown in communication, and the board have just gone, "Oh, we've had enough." But from yeah. everything we've seen about Palace and Vieira in particular, it doesn't seem like he's the type to have that sort of negative relationship. Yeah, but. Looking at the Palace results that they have had, so since their last win, which was on New Year's Eve against fellow relegation battlers Bournemouth, yep. they have lost to Spurs, lost mm-hmm. to Chelsea, drew with Newcastle, lost to Man U, drew with Brighton, drew with Brentford, drew with Liverpool, lost to Villa, lost to Man City and lost to Arsenal. So it's not like they were losing to all the teams in and around them. Every one of those teams was above them in the league when they played them. Um, other than the Tottenham game, which they lost 4-0 at Selhurst Park, Vieira didn't lose any one of those games by more than one goal. He lost a 1-0, a 2-1, and another two one nils. Mm. So, for me, defensively, they seem to be reasonably okay, because they don't seem yeah. to be conceding loads of goals. It just seems to not be clicking going forward. Yeah. And... Which is interesting because Vieira, when he first came in, was playing this attacking style of football, which obviously is kind of um, diluted a little. Um, but it just seems shocking timing for me. Uh, I don't get it. He's had 74 games in charge. He's won 22 of them, drawn 25 and lost 27. So a roughly kind of a win percentage of just under 30%. So it's not, it's not the worst in terms of teams down there. It's about comparable um i just find it really bizarre the timing of it particularly when they've got this run going ahead against a lot of teams that are defensively frail themselves so if anything that plays into palace's hands where they have a good defense and their offense just needs to kind of click then give these games are where if it's going to click they'll get the most benefit from so yeah. once again don't really get it i think Vieira maybe has done <laughs> has been done a little hard done by there. Um, yeah, to be honest, I, I think some of the pundits' viewpoints are that. Um, well, I mean, Vincent Company made a, a, a good point um, in sort of in, in a reaction um, to the news. Very, very much sort of lining up um, all of the stuff that we're sort of saying. You know, the the run of features that they had this year, the run of features they got coming up. Um, but he made he made a point that I I found sort of interesting, and he talked about when managers sort of underachieve, then obviously the pressure comes on and you you start to then have to sort of up the performances and, and try and get results because it obviously is a results based business. Um, but then he's talking about Vieira being someone who overachieved in that position, um, and I think he does have a sort of a viewpoint uh, a, a good point on that. Because obviously, when Hodgson came in, when Hodgson got relieved of his duties um, before Vieira came in, 
there was a huge sort of necessity for Palace to go on a bit of a squad rebuild and try and improve the squad and sort of bring down the average age and just sort of rejuvenate the, the, the playing squad to something that becomes something that they can use throughout the sort of coming years. And Vieira did that initially. Um, and with some sort of, um, well, yeah, with so with good results. We've mentioned that they got to a um, an FA Cup semi final last year, and they can they were mid table um, last year. They're mid table as it stands now. Granted, not that many points up from the drop. This zone, is this but is their what... results. They're they you know the the fixtures coming up. They could easily bang a couple of you know two or three wins. Yeah, and suddenly um, they're laughing. And suddenly they're laughing. So it just screams panic. What seems mad to me is last season they finished 12th and that was deemed a good enough position. And this season they're currently 12th and now that's not deemed a good enough position. Yeah. I know it's a case of relegation battle, but I don't know. I always think, and I I do typically always say, you've got to stand by your manager. You've made that decision. Give them the opportunity. I know obviously relegation is so absolutely awful for football teams in the Premier League. But he's still got a quarter of the season left. Yep. Like, it's mad that they're just going, oh, no, don't be gone, Patrick. We don't want you anymore. When I mean, there's still time, particularly, as you say, against teams that they will be able to get results again. They've got a really good record. They've got one of the strongest records against teams in and around them. And yep. they're not giving him the opportunity for the return legs. So, um, yeah, I... incredibly bizarre. Yeah, really, really bizarre. With Vieira out of the building, Palace turned back to the old faithful managerial merry-go-round and revisited a man who they have previously engaged with. A man who is five years older than barcodes. A man who has lived for more days than Selhurst Park has seats. A man who is five days older than an independent India and Pakistan. It is none other than Roy the Owl Hodgson. Um, He's returned to Palace, having previously managed them for 162 games with a win percentage of 33% in all competitions. So ultimately, they've replaced Vieira with a manager who is mildly, slightly more prolific at winning than him. 4%. (laughs) 4%. I know we talk about fine margins in sport, but as if you're a Palace fan, obviously Roy did a lot for them. He stabilised them. He got routinely kind of mid-table-ish finishes. Vieira was the opportunity to accelerate and push on, and there was always going to be an element of risk there. But with Roy, it seems a really... I don't know, if you're looking at Hodgson... The last team he managed, he stepped in at the end of last season, and I completely forgot about this. He stepped in at the end of last season to manage Watford. Watford. Yeah, I completely forgot that as well. And how did that go for Watford? Uh, well, I mean, they're, they're, I think they're on to their, what, like, ninth manager since then, probably? About then. So yeah. they, they were, got relegated. It just, Roy just doesn't... When you're in a relegation fight, it seems to me you need a manager who can come in, add energy and just encu- bring a bundle of encouragement and push players on. And it, it doesn't necessarily have anything to do with his age, but that does play a small factor. But also his personality and demeanour just seems a very like mellow kind of passive guy. While what what you almost want there is someone who's going to come in like Daesh, who is going to have a laugh, who's going to encourage anyone, who's going to engage everyone, who's going to bring the energy and lift everyone up. And yeah. that, to me, just doesn't doesn't seem to me like that will be Roy's strong suit here. Um, I, I and... think in defence, Roy, in in like two of his sort of most recent jobs that he's done, I won Crystal Palace before Vieira, uh, BV, Um he was there for what, like four years. So very stable, very sort of level-headed guy, and kept Palace just on the straight and narrow in the Premier League, just sort of happy mid-table. Um, and then England as well. I know that's a different sort of kettle of fish, but I mean, he was Iceland. in the, uh, minus that one. Um, but it did give us a, a great moment with um, Steve McLaren. But anyway, we move past that. Um, 
he was a, he was in England for a good number of years as well, and he's this level-headed character and a, an idea of sort of stability. And um, we'll sort of skip over the, the Liverpool period because I don't really want to revisit but, that. But at the same um, time, Vieira doesn't strike but, me as a manager who's massively volatile and would cause any level no, of instability. I, no, no, that, that's that's not that's not no, that's not the direction I'm going down. It's the okay. fact that I think right now, Palace needs someone who is just going to. And when I saw when I saw the Hodge news, I was like, uh, really. But I think in the grand scheme of things, if they were going to replace anyone, I think they need someone who knows the club. And I know that's such a cliche. Um, but I don't I, think I I I just disagree. think it's level headed. I he absolutely will... disagree. If I, if I'm a Palace player sitting in that changing room, and they've gone, oh, we've just got rid of Patrick, and they've gone, oh, we're bringing in Roy. Bearing in mind they need goals. I don't really think I'll be inspired by the manager who had Harry Kane taking corner kicks. And I know that's very nation specific, but that is very like a, specific. It's a specific instance. But there is not maybe behind closed doors, he's absolutely phenomenal. But looking at relegation fights where he's coming to save a team, looking at that Watford team, they were dull and awful. And Watford were down, no doubt. They were, but they look, didn't even look like they were up for a fight. And I just think in terms of as an appointment to get you going, to get you G'd up, to get you inspired, to get you to want to fight, I just don't see Roy being that man. Because I don't even think he's the sort of person that you could take serious if he gets angry at you. Well, if Vieira was getting angry at me and like trying to like put a rocket on my backside, I would bloody run miles for that man while i don't think roy i'll take a serious which sounds well, sounds awful but insert video of him saying let's not take the piss here um or <laughs> what's going on here um i don't know no, I, just, I, I just think I, it's I... such a negative point. if you're gonna get rid of Vieira, i well, just don't it's just such a backwards move going for roy well, and oh, don't get me wrong it, it, it's backwards because i think a point in Vieira was the sense, it was the natural progression of things that was going in the right direction. It was someone who's, I think, a little bit more ambitious uh, than Roy and trying to take them in the right direction. It, obviously, for whatever reason that Palace have made the decision, they've decided that it wasn't going entirely to plan. But I think Roy will just be that that anchor of stability that for the time being that will keep them in the Premier. I think Roy will keep them in the Premier but they League. They weren't that unstable but, in the first place under but this, the era. No, 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 no. no. And yeah, it may. Yeah, I get that. I completely get that. All I'm saying is Roy will keep them in the prem, but huge questions have to be asked of those up top in Palace. I'm not talking about the strikers. I'm talking about like the um, the, the powers of B. Yeah, because Roy isn't a long term decision. You've panic moved. I do think Roy will keep them in the prem, and I think it's a it's See, a, a, it's a sensible decision based off a terrible decision. I. I'm, I'm not so. Sh- yeah, you're right. It was not the first instance. I agree with you. Was an awful decision getting rid of Vieira. I just, I don't see Palace staying up now. Really, I, I genuinely don't. I think that with Vieira, they would have been able to. Or is I think they I think oh, they no, no, Sorry, I, I, I think the they are it. far. I think they are far worse off now than they were last week yes I and agree. i i just don't see i don't i just think this put, makes them so much more vulnerable like for weeks we were saying oh palace have had this rotten run of form and oh but the, you know they're far enough away from it they're now not far enough away from it and i know you can say pat Vieira was in charge and got them into this situation yeah. but it was an awful run of games i just what I think, I think, I think annoy me more than anything is if Roy picks up a couple of wins because I think Vieira would have per- been perfectly capable. Yeah, and I just don't. It's it's a it's a decision that just seems so backwards and such a negative way to approach the situation. And I just kind of feel sorry for the Palace fan. Don't get me wrong; if they've gone down, it's awful when a team gets relegated and you experience that as a fan. Yeah, but. I'd rather go down with a manager like Vieira where you're trying something different and you're putting up a fight rather than a manager like Roy where you're just going, oh, well, let's let's go back to Old Faithful and see if it works again. And yeah, I don't know. I just, that, I just that don't believe it will. Is a, is, a, is a backwards decision. But I think, I still think Roy will keep them up. But mm. they are in a worse place now than they were 
prior to th- prior to yeah. Friday. Yeah. Um, I just but, I think I think Roy's biggest challenge is just getting the players on side because this is the annoying Roy's thing about biggest, no, Roy's biggest challenge is getting them scoring goals, and his teams have never been that prolific. No, no, I, I get that, but I think it's still a quite a different side to what you had previously. I mean, you still I mean, got like, you the young can't fall back are, on uh, Mila Yedinak and Gary Cahill to get him out of trouble. Yeah, I, I, I just think you need you know because this is one of the things that annoys me about that decision was the fact that Steve Parrish after. Um, after the after the Vieira got sacked, he came out and sort of in, had an interview with um, one of the you know, one of the Sky Sports presenters in like the typical sort of um, hang like hand out of a window of a car type interview, and just basically said, you know, Patrick never lost the players. He never lost the players, um, but something needed to be done. But I think it was literally just the sake of, of doing something for the sake of doing something, and that's where the trouble with that lies with me. I just think, yeah, let's like right, so bad decision getting rid of Patrick, bad overall sort of sense of idea of appointing Roy. But I think in Roy, they have someone who is stable, level headed, and I think will keep them up. Oh, I, I'm not so sure. And for the Palace fans, I feel sorry for them if they go down, but this yeah. is nothing more than what Steve Parrish deserves if they do get relegated. Oh, no, 100%, because they yeah. should never have got rid of Patrick yeah. in the first place. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, with the reappointment of Roy Hodgson, yeah. um, a fantastic stat went round, which um, is that now of current Premier League managers, 25% of them have previously managed Watford, which <laughs> to an extent isn't a surprise given the rate that manager. Uh, given the rate that Watford go through managers. So, Watford get around a lot. <laughs> yeah. So Brendan Rodgers was there um, from 2008 to 2009. Sean Dyche was there from 2011 to 2012. Marco Silva was there from 2017 to 2018. Javi Gracia was there from 2018 to 2019. But oh, he got just over a year. And then Roy Hodgson was there at the tail end of last season for just four months which wasn't that good but well we'll see I'm I don't going into under Vieira as a if I was a Palace fan I would have been somewhat optimistic that results could change with this appointment I don't feel anywhere near as confident so but we'll wait and see we've got 10 games for what for Palace to figure it all out I think I think the big thing will be in the summer um obviously that does rest on whether or not Roy keeps them up. But if they do, if if they do, if if Roy does manage to keep them up, this summer is huge for Crystal Palace in terms of their ambitions of remaining in the Premier League. But but we said this a couple of seasons ago. Are they getting up Roy? Oh, this is a real transformative stage for them. And they appointed a young manager who had a new approach. And then what are they going to do? They're now going to go and try and appoint a young manager with a fresh approach, but who likely won't have any Premier League experience. So they, it, once again, it, I just see it as a downgrade from Vieira. Yeah. It, it's baffling. I don't get it. And yeah, we'll wait and see. Um, yeah. But, and it, it was a decision that absolutely annoyed the hell out of me. Other than Palace's sacking, we did have some actual Premier League football going on this week, didn't we, Tom? We did. So, looking at results, um, there's a couple that are worth talking about, but not a huge amount. Um, Brentford <laughs> uh, failed to beat Leicester, so still ha- have a, a great run against them without getting a result, um, which I think is now still matching the West Ham v Brighton run. So, congratulations, yep. uh, Leicester, for that goes on. But yeah, and in all fairness, it was a, a good goal for Leicester to pull back level. So yeah. um, good on them. Um, and then the big one being, I suppose, for the relegation battle was Leeds turning over Wolves at Molyneux. Did not expect that. Wolves just seem to be so hit or miss so far. Like it's absolutely One minute crazy. five for Wolves now. Oh, that is quite bad from them, isn't it? So looking at like, but they they seem to be so roller coaster form, don't they? Yeah. Um, like they get some points and they lose, but if they win like once every three games, then that I think that will be enough for them to stay up. I, I 
I think at, at this at this stage of the season, I think I I'm happy with what they've had are. a reasonably tough run of games as well recently. So yeah. they have played Newcastle, Tottenham, Liverpool, Fulham, um, or Liverpool twice and Man City. But in that same period, they have then lost to uh, lost to Bournemouth and now lost to Leeds, both in the relegation battle with them. So with their games remaining, I don't know, it was, a, it was a really good one for the relegation fight because it, it pulled Leeds out of the relegation zone and Tysons it up even more. Leeds so. up to 14th. Yeah, which is, which is absolutely crazy. It means the table means nothing at this I think, point, does it? Yeah, I think fact, positioning means absolutely nothing. You've got to yeah. look at the points. Yeah, exactly. Well, and if you're looking at the table down there, West Ham have dropped into the relegation zone because they didn't have a game. They do have two games in hand against the likes of Everton, Wolves, Southampton. But one of those games is against Manchester City because that was the game that wasn't played this week. So um, we'll wait and see. It None of it is... It was a good game, Lee 2 Wolves. I think the... Uh, some really good goals in it. I thought yeah, some cracking a goals proper relegation scrap out down in the bottom. Yep. A 4-2 game, which is always exciting for everyone involved. So I'm a big fan of that. Um, but yeah, that was probably my highlight of the week in terms of football. Other great results, I suppose, was Southampton coming back to get a point against Tottenham, showing that they're also part want to scrap it out for this relegation yeah. fight. Plus it led to one of the all-time Premier League managerial meltdowns. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. If if Conte is still manager of um oh, you know what? That's who they should have gone for. Palace should have appointed tried and appointed Conte. That's Just what they the shits and giggles. Absolutely. Um and then another um point stolen from the so-called big six was Everton getting a point away at Chelsea with their young lad Sims scoring a very late on equaliser, which was once again a fantastic goal. Um yeah. which once again you wouldn't have really said much about um Daish's men getting a result at Stamford Bridge, but no, I'm it, beating three it, now. It, it kind of keeps them at pace. And I think yep. that's the most important thing is if you're not pulling away, which no one is, you've got to keep pace with everyone else. And that is just yep. picking up the occasional point, which Southampton have done to move themselves onto 23 points, so they're only two points away from safety. I think that is literally what everyone's doing. They're literally yeah. apart from Palace have been drawn into it, but literally everyone should keep in pace with each other. Like other than out of all the teams from 12th downwards, only two two teams have won more than one game in their last five. I know. <laughs> Which is shocking for them. And that's with Bournemouth and Leeds. So that was Leeds' second win in five. Other than that, the, the form tables are plagued with red marks against a lot of the teams down there. It's, it's going to be a brutal scrap, um, as we say every week. But... The results this week didn't really change much at all. Um, no. Other than if Wolves had won it, it would have been really good for them and would have pushed them that little bit further out away, being at the top end of everything. But instead, they're well... No, it's just free. no one can break free. No one can no, break no free. No one can. Um, it's it's great to watch. Yeah. It's awful to be part of if you're a oh, fan. Oh, 100%. Yeah, like, I, 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 I feel I can feeling. look at that and go, oh, West Ham are in the relegation zone. But, um, but then if you win, you're like... Well, you'd end up thirteenth, or if if not, what? Oh, exactly, and um, you'd end up twelfth if you won your game in hand. Yeah, exactly, and that's just winning one of our games in hand. If yeah, we got two, if nuts. we won both our games in hand, that puts us on thirty points. You're suddenly looking very, very safe. But we won't mm. win both the games in hand. Um, but yeah, those were the main talking points from um, these Premier League results. This weekend, we also saw the FA Cup quarterfinals take place, with Brighton being the only member of the other 14 to make it through to the Wembley semi-finals. But the championship is also being represented by other 14 alumni, Sheffield United. Tom, do you feel this semi-final draw was as incredibly predictable and unexciting as I do? 100%. It was all designed and it's, you know, full on conspiracy theory that both Manchester sides were going to be split apart. City would get the championship sides. I mean, Trafford United are sort of Premier League in waiting, I'd say. But still, it like yourself, entirely predictable. But you never know. You just never know. It's the magic of the cup. It is. I, I've... Anyway, I suppose my thing with this draw was that on 6.06 um, this weekend, they were talking about the draw 
and someone said, oh, everyone wants a Manchester derby as the final. And I just think that is so boring and oh, just... It's just a boring fixture because you know exactly how both teams are going to set up. It'll be a cagey yeah. affair. Well, if you were to have Brighton or Sheffield United make it to the final, or both of them, it'd be such a good game of football. Sheffield United-Brighton would be yeah. an absolutely phenomenal fixture in the FA Cup final. Chances are both aren't going to get there and we'd be lucky to see one of them get there, unfortunately. Um, but we talk about the magic of the cup, both semi-finals being at Wembley. Obviously, it's great for these some of these Brighton players and Sheffield United players to be able to play at Wembley. But I, with the fixtures that they've got and the fact that the semi-finals are the way they are, I just I'm I'm not feeling the magic. No, I mean, unfortunately for Sheffield United, you know they've had quite quite the run. Obviously beaten Spurs. They've had a replay against Wrexham to get through as well, which could have been a huge banana skin. It that was a great. They were great games as well against Wrexham. And even even the Blackburn game. I I was watching. I remember I was watched all of that game at the weekend, and that was a thoroughly sort of entertaining game. Classic, classic cup top. Because uh, they came, they came from behind tire. to win, didn't they? Twice they came from yeah. behind. Twice Blackburn looked really, really good, and then it was of all people a City lone e who comes up with the winner. So he's now in an FA Cup semi-final where he can't play. Well, this is what I wanted to talk to you about as well. So two Sheffield United players are currently on loan from Manchester yep. City. So this is Tommy Doyle and James McAtee. He's called the winner. I don't get why. I get that there's the rule, but what does City have to be scared of to, in theory, they they could allow, they could allow them to play against them, yeah. um, because it has happened before when Derby had a couple of players. They had Mason, they had Mason Mount and uh, Tamori on loan at Derby, and they drew each other yeah. when they played in those games. City have, in theory, have nothing to, they shouldn't have anything to worry about, given their squad, given the money they spent. They shouldn't be worried about little old Sheffield United. And I don't mean that in a bad way to Sheffield United. I'm just using them as a comparison of the Goliaths no, that are Manchester City. City. The fact that they're not allowing two of their youth prospects to get the experience of playing in an FA Cup semi-final, which they have earned yep. at Wembley, what's going to do more for their progression? Sitting in, I mean, Tommy Doyle literally earned it. Yeah, they've literally earned it. And what an opportunity goal. for them to go out and uh, very rarely a City ever uh, the Davids against the Goliaths. But for those two young lads to walk out against their home team, effectively, and to play in a game, that would be so much pressure. But what an experience for them. And Surely you'd, you'd be more up for it as a lone to go up against your parent club and yeah. show what you're sort of what you're capable of. So, because that would be, if they have a good game, they're effectively going to Pep going, you need to think about me for next season. Don't 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 go, spend, for, don't go exactly. and spend forty million on someone. You can put me in your squad and you can rely yeah. on me for a couple of games next season. You, I can be around the first team. Yeah. Instead, the disappointment they must have that FA Cup draw. The di- they must have been absolutely hoping for either Brighton to get either Brighton or Man U, and then they've got the one game yeah. where they will not be able to play. And I just think it's really disappointing for them. I'm gutted for them because. They've proven that they are capable of playing at this level and they've yeah. earned that. And then, yeah, it's just starts against uh, you know, not, at Wembley. I mean, semi finals me shouldn't wrong. be at Wembley, but don't get me wrong, they would come under a huge amount of stick if they were to make an error that ends up in Man City winning the game. Yeah, but realistically, they're not people can I can differentiate between something that would be intentional and unintentional. and. You can't tell me those two lads are going to try and throw the game. Also, the same way that if Tommy Doyle was to go and score a worldie against Man City in the yeah. FA Cup semi-final, Man City fans, you'd hope, would be mature enough to not hate on him and kind of go, well, he's out there, he's getting the experience, he will come and play for us. Um, it just feels Man City wrong. fans are mature. I don't think there's two two words that you know two phrases that go together. But you know what I mean. Like in terms, like for any club, if you're yeah. in that position, you'd just be think, oh, what a great opportunity for these youngsters to prove against <laughs> like the, the the first team. Um, 
But yeah, that's slightly disappointing. As for the other draw, um, Brighton, obviously doing well. They came through a fairly easy fixture against Grimsby, where they cruised 5-0 at the Amex. 5-0. Yeah. um, So they've been drawn against Man United. We had one of the other 14 get through to a final of a cup competition with a chance of silverware this season with Newcastle in the League Cup final. Do Brighton have it in them to possibly win the FA Cup or is it the fact that there are both Manchester clubs who are probably two of the most two of the three most informed clubs in the country is it maybe a little too much a little too big of a hurdle for them to I'll, clamber over I'll take it a step back a little bit I think Brighton are more than capable of beating United to get through to the final I think out of the two semi-finals this is this United Brighton semi-final thing is the one I'm looking at which could potentially see um because likelihood is it's going to be City in the final unfortunately sorry Sheffield United fans um but I I honestly think Brighton have it in them to beat United they've already done it once this year in the league what's not to say they can't do it again absolutely Um, it's their second semi-final in five years um they lost I think 1-0 to City in 2019 Um, And in terms of like recent history, this run that they've had in the FA Cup, you know, two semifinals in five years, it's the most success they've had in the FA Cup ever. I think they've made one final previously back in like 1983, again, which they lost to United, um, back in also in the times when finals used to go to replays. Um, I love that. Of, of I, I I love the fact that pre television rights and all of this nonsense, you'd yeah, have um, a, you'd have a final go to a replay. And yeah, the, I, the went, thing is, they wouldn't even do it like a week apart, would they? It'd no. be like on the following Tuesday or something. So both yeah. teams and fans would have to just a really back. stupid day. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was um, when it you was... look. I love it when looking at like old programs or trying to buy them for like big games. Um, and the fact that it is randomly a final replay on a Tuesday yeah. night, it's like, what what madness is this? You would yeah. never, you would, unfortunately, you would never get that these days. No. Well, it's lost all, yeah, it loses all glamour of it. But um, anyway, going, going back to, to the main point, I, I can see there being a possibility of Brighton winning just because I, I do think with everything that they've done this year, they do have it in them to go that final step. But it will take a lot um, for them to do it um, because it would just be, you know, they'd have to beat United and most likely they would have to beat City in the final. Um, but I, who's not to say they can't do it? Because I, I was looking at this um, and this is where I sort of went back to looking at their run in the FA Cup. Um, obviously, the two semi-finals in the last five years, the only other time they've reached the semi-final was... In 1983, they then went on to go to the final, obviously. But looking at their sort of history as a club in general, this is arguably the greatest Brighton side there's ever been. Well, yeah, in all fairness to Brighton, uh, they're not exactly... They don't have pages and pages in the uh, history books. and But that's because, in reality, Brighton and Hove area is a fairly small area and yeah. obviously they've now built there's this football club that's been kind of kept being built on to a point where they've got something to be really be proud of that is performing at a high level yeah they can't um, be punching above their weight absolutely and, and the players that they have in them yeah why not yeah and that team bear in mind this is a team that they lose Cucurella in the summer they also lost um the guy that went to Spurs, I can't remember his name, and he's not played there much Basuma. at all. They lost Basuma. They then had Potter taken from them. They then had Trossard taken from them. And now they're in an FA Cup semi-final and probably going to end up with one of their best place finishes in the league. Yeah, I think... And yeah, an just... FA Cup final would be absolutely phenomenal for them. But even the fact that they've got to a Wembley semi-final, I think is absolutely incredible for them. Oh, 100%. I mean, for them to be at Wembley in the first place, you know, absolutely above and beyond, I think, what any sort of Brighton, Brighton fan could have possibly ever imagined, especially sort of, um, you know, last year, they, I think there was a ninth place finish for them last year. And then, yeah, just sort of really, really consistently FA Cup of, of, of late. So, 
you know, good I, on I'm them. calling it a Matoma hat trick in the semi final for them to uh, to get through. Okay, okay. Um, well, speaking of teams that unfortunately didn't make it through to the FA Cup semi finals from the other fourteen, well, I feel we have to talk a, briefly about Fulham. And, it did not go um, well. Well, it was going well for a bit. It was going well. So they were one 0 up at Old Trafford, and then. <laughs> It was a really chaos good goal. happened. It was a good goal from Mitrovic, and then you know what? You know what's really helpful when you've got a lead in an FA Cup semi final in an away game is when you proceed to have two of your most attacking players get sent off and your manager sent off all in the space of ninety seconds. <laughs> Three red cards over one incident. In, in, in all fairness, I tell you, in all fairness, one incident. The ref made the correct call on every single count. Oh, so there's no a, controversy. It, about it was it a handball. It was a handball on the line. It's one of those where he's leaning in, trying to lean in with yeah. his body, but his hand is kind of there as well. That's yeah. a red card, and I don't doubt that. Um, and then Mitrovic gets sent off for pushing the ref, and also because he was having a go at the ref <laughs> while the ref was viewing the VAR monitor, uh, Marco Silva got sent off as well. So it was an absolute cluster from them. Um, I suppose the biggest point from this will be they won't have. William for a couple of games now. They won't have Marco Silva for a couple of games now. And the biggest thing is Mitrovic could be handed quite a significant ban yes. for pushing I, the referee. I um, think we, we could potentially see him... I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he's done for the season. Yeah, with 10 games, I think, assume they've got, like most others, about 10 games yeah. left. It's, uh, yeah, Fulham... Oh, they've got 11 games left, but yeah. This will really dent their chances of that kind of European tussle. And yeah. it's such a sad way for it to go. Just a bit of hot-headedness from him. Absolutely crazy. Um, absolute idiot. Um, over I, a correct I, decision as well. Yeah, I guess my annoyance with... And he was 100% right to send the guy off. Um, you know, you just can't do that to an official. I guess my annoyance with it is how different was that to what... Bruno did against Liverpool with the line with the lino. Normally, I'm all for, particularly Bruno. I really don't like him. Don't get me wrong; what he did was unacceptable. He should have been given a ban. Uh, he yeah. should have been um, sent off. Is it because but, it was old but when talking, and Fergie was looking on? Uh, uh, but when talking about the level of impact, Bruno kind of you saw the way the way he touched. The linesman was uh, different, but the anger which Mitrovic did it, and that would that will be, I think, the key yeah. thing is his absolute. <clears throat> I think you can. T- I don't think it's binary of you touch the ref, you don't touch the ref. I think it's the intent behind it, and you could see how seething Mitrovic was, how out of control he was, yeah. and that for me will be the big decision maker here. Is just that he was absolutely furious, completely out of control of his own emotions, and. I think that is why he will see the big ban. Don't get me wrong, I still think Bruno should have been given a red card and a couple of matches. But the reason Mitrovic could could be out of for the rest of the season is just because he was so out of control and it was not it wasn't a good look on him. Yeah. Um and then as a result, Fulham ended up conceding three goals inside um, the remaining 20 minutes of the game. Yeah, I mean, they conceded twice in the space of about five minutes, didn't they? Yeah, so, well, um, William, was sent Bruno... off in the se- William was sent off in the 72nd <laughs> minute, and then it took a whole three minutes for Bruno to then be able to take the penalty because of the furore that took place. Yeah. Um. So, Fulham out, and then long-term implications for the rest of the season. Yeah, I mean, in terms of how much... It will affect. I mean, Fulham are gradually starting to drop away from that European battle anyway. I don't think their form has been fantastic of late. But uh, I think it it really does. It's not great, but he has scored 11 goals in 21 league games for them. And without that sort of firepower, I know they've got Vinicius, whatever his name is. And. They've also got that new lad Solomon come through. Is that his name? Menor Solomon, yeah. Um, just 
replacing those goals is going to be really difficult for them. Um, so we'll wait and see. I, I, I don't get I wrong. Just, I think, would, you, I, would you say now that Fulham are pretty much at the beach? Yeah, I, I, I think I think any team now that still has a fixture against Fulham, you are kind of looking at as a potential potential three points. So looking at and in all fairness, a lot of the other four, a lot of wow. Well, I was going to Fulham, say because Fulham's remaining games: Bournemouth, West Ham, Everton, Leeds, uh, then Villa and City. Then Leicester, Southampton, and Palace. So mm. they are playing seven of the um, seven of the bottom nine. <laughs> so every one of them are going to be looking at that fixture. Yeah, going. It's a shame that Wolves and Forest aren't miss, uh, are missing out on it. But yeah, as yeah. any, team... I'd, I'd like I'd like Fulham to prove me wrong. But I, I genuinely think at this point of the season, I don't think they have much left to play for. I I think. This is like beach, yeah. I think it's beach time for them. I think it could be a little slip and slide for them, if I'm yeah. honest. Um, but we'll wait and see. But I mean, um, we've been wrong about Fulham in the past. I mean, we said they were relegation favourites at the start of the season, true. but how wrong we were. Yeah, I suppose it's a case of it only takes them to lose the next two games and then kind of all wind is taken out their sails. Yeah, yeah. While Brighton may be in the hunt for silverware, um, last week we also saw the draw that decided West Ham's fate in the Europa Conference League. Um, the third-tier competition of continental football in Europe. The draw saw West Ham face up against Belgium's Ghent in the quarterfinals, and if they succeed over the two-legged affair, they will go on to play the winner of AZ, Alkmaar and Anderlecht. The other teams that remain in the competition are Basel, Nice, Fiorentina and Lech Poznan. Um, This could possibly be considered the best draw for David Moyes' men in terms of quality of the opposition and travel time to fixtures being only possibly playing games in Belgium and the Netherlands. Yeah. We've spoken about their chances probably a couple of months ago now when they emerged out the groups. Um, I think it's... Do you expect West Ham to win this now? As a West Ham fan, I'm cautious about it, but what do you expect from West Ham right now? They Could they become the second ever winners of the Conference League? So, obviously, their form has been fantastic in the Conference League. And... They, they have they have won every single game they've played in the Conference League, and that is more games than they've won in the Premier League this season. Which, I mean, <laughs> that is just stupid in itself anyway. I mean, it's clearly... Yeah. They, I mean, they... you must be hampering their form in the league. No, I don't think it really... I, I, I just think that... Then why can't they? they can with ultimate, on, with ultimate, with ultimate respect to the competition, the level of quality of opposition is lower. West Ham have not. I would not say there's been many games, even in the Conference League, where they have played well, but they've been able to get results. Looking at the teams they've played, they've played Silkborg, they played Anderlecht, who are reasonably okay, but they didn't turn up very much. FCSB. They've then just had a two-legged affair against AEK Larnaca. Some of those teams would even struggle to get champion winning the championship. Um, okay, so, it's... so they're past those teams now. Now this is like the integrity of the tournament. So Nice are a good outfit. Fiorentina are a good outfit. But they're all on the other side of the draw. Barcelona, Nice and Fiorentina are probably the next three strongest teams. Yeah. And they are all... They will only have to play one of them in the final. And Finals, anything can happen. Yeah, okay, I'll I'll, I'll give you that. Um, so the the pathway has been decided to the, the route has been decided to the final. Is that what is that? What, yeah, I've been keeping massively. Yeah, so the, when there. they do the semi final draw, they also do the uh, when they do the quarter final draw, they also do the semi final draw. So you right. know your path through to the final now. Okay. So yeah, I, I I I can definitely see a route for West Ham to get to the final, and for them because last year it was it was Europa League, wasn't it? Yeah, in Europa League, they lost in the semi-final to Frankfurt over both legs after right. Aaron Cresswell was a muppet. Um, I think with all, yeah, reasonable. I think Anderlecht are still a good outfit, no doubt. Uh, I think um, the confidence West Ham will have there is that they beat them in both leg, uh, both games in the group stage. So Anderlecht yeah. were in West Ham's group, and to be honest, their fans but, were absolute hooligans. Yeah. So. If we have, I, if they have them in the semi-final, that game could be a little bit spicy. 
My only concern for West Ham in that tournament is the fact that their league form hasn't been fantastic and mentally I think it could have huge impacts because they still are and I would say, you know, one of the favourites for relegation at this stage of the season just because they felt they are not turning it on at all in the league. At what point mentally does that drain you and sort of think, you looking over your shoulder constantly at the league and think, oh, you might... One one night you might be off your game in in the conference league, and you know anything could happen. So I I th- I would say cautious for West Ham in terms of uh, West Ham fans in sort of looking ahead. I think you just got to you know again another cliche. You just got to take each game as it comes in that conference league. Yeah, I, I think it'll be. I say it's the best chance that they've had at silverware in well oh. obviously last year they got through to the semi finals, but. Yeah. It's one of their better options recently. Looking at the quality of the opposition in the last round, they um, other favourites for the competition. Uh, Villarreal got knocked out, which was a bit of a surprise. And Lazio also got knocked out, so they lost yeah. to Alkmaar. Um, I, I just think the level, of, having been to all the home games, I think the level of squad rotation that's been put in has been really healthy. Um, obviously, when the games get harder... They Moyes will probably play a stronger team out there, but he has had the benefit, particularly this Larnaca game. They won the first uh, first leg 2-0 away from home and then coming to the London Stadium. I'll be honest, West Ham scored a goal and then Larnaca got a player sent off. Yeah. Game was done at that point. <laughs> they then absolutely cruised um, and it was dead easy for them. So, I don't know, it's one of those that can, can good form in one competition fuel... Fuel other, fuel other results because I mean it hasn't done so far. Why would it change no, now? I suppose the difference is the group stage is fairly like kind of you got to just dredge through the group stage. Yeah, it, I suppose for a player it might be quite hard to get that excited by a game against Larnaca. Um, no, no, no disrespect, men, but then they're a fairly small team, and then. I suppose it's now of, oh, we might be able to win something. It just kind of brings, slowly turns up the atmosphere and the environment around the club, yeah. I would think. I get, I get, it will be interesting to see if that does finally turn around their form. Yeah, and, or they're completely unrelated and, you know what, West Ham win the Conference League and get relegated. It would be Jekyll quite, and, a Jekyll it, and Hyde season. It would be, it'd be quite, well, you know, we've had it before. Birmingham won yep. the League Cup. Wigan won the FA Cup and got relegated. I'm not yep. sure we've have, ever had an instance where um, a team has won a European <laughs> competition and got relegated. Yeah. But it would be quite funny seeing West Ham in the Europa League next season one day and then having to play <laughs> play some championship Luton teams. Town. <laughs> exactly. So... You know, no, Tucker still getting the playoffs and get promoted, but anyway. Yeah. But yeah, we'll wait and uh, we'll wait and see on that one. But I think it's, I think it's a decent chance given the teams that are in there. I think they've got to be reasonably confident. Can't win it if you're not in it. Absolutely. There may have been a number of games postponed because of the FA Cup fixtures this week, but Tom, there were plenty of goals for you to pick from in this week's goal of the week. Goal of the week. So I have seven in my shortlist for this week. And like I said, some great, great choices um, for this week's goals of the week. Even though we had some postponements, there was still plenty to choose from and some absolute quality from the other 14. I'll start off with the Friday night game and I'll look at Dennis's goal against Newcastle. Uh, his little dink over the keeper and the defenders effectively had to clear two people in one there um, just effectively um, to to score. Nice little dink. And then Isaacs in the same game, obviously against Forest. I've wrote down my notes, Newcastle, so I'm an idiot then. Um, But against Forest. um, And so that, in essence, I thought that was sort of similar to Traore's goal from a couple of weeks ago. Not the same sort of type, of finish, but it was just the fact that it was quite improvised with the ball behind him and the cross. He really had to sort of stretch his leg out. Um, oh, he, the way he the way he did that and kind of it's weird. It he had to maneuver his body. It looked like he kind of 
curled it. He almost looked a bit off his shin as well. Like not saying yeah. he shinned it, but the way he had to Navas was moving across to the post that mm. he was on, and the fact that he was able to put it back across goal um, was really impressive. Yeah, I, re- I really like that. Um, just the sort of improvisation of it. Um, really, really impressive. And you know, two goals for Isaac in that game really starting to come to the to the forefront now as, as Newcastle sort of leading sort of attacker, uh, especially with you know Callum Wilson being sort of in and out of injury at the moment, and not exactly in the massive in in great goal scoring touch either. Bob Newcastle in general aren't in massive goal scoring touch, so um, Isaac being there certainly helps them with that. Then looking at the Villa game against Bournemouth, Douglas Louise Bailey was just on a on a mission in that box there, just sort of driving, you know, teasing the Bournemouth defenders, running to the byline, and then a pinpoint actually low cross to Louise, who literally just taps it in. So I think you know, huge credit to Bailey there. She gets all at least half of it if um, half of the trophy if, if Louise wins this. Um, but yeah, nice little uh, team goal there. I've got Christensen's uh, against Wolves. Really, really strong to hold off the defender and a nice sort of close control in the box to set up the low finish. The fact that he'd only been on the pitch for not yeah. very long. Um, Instant impact. It was, it was, I have to say, awful defending. But at the same oh, time, he did really well to pluck it out, like to take that control and to make the space yeah. of the shot. I, I mean, I really rated that goal. In a six-goal thriller, I mean, there's not much defending going on. So um, <laughs> true, but um, yeah, really, really fair play to Christensen. I really like that goal. Um, Johnny's against Leeds. I thought, well, Melio was just where was he? He, he just wasn't there, was he? No, um, like, and he's he he is such a liability. He he's got so many appearances for now for Leeds. You just start to think he's sort of like trying to gradually build up with that experience, but he keeps coming up with absolute clangers. Um, but I think he always has. And I, I don't think I've seen enough of him making worldy saves. No. To be no. able to justify saying like the risk involved of having yeah. him. I think um, one of the reasons why Leeds concede a lot of goals is because of their goalkeeping situation. So I think that's definitely d- an area that he's What was to look the at. one the other week where um, he completely got beaten at near post when he was miles off his line? Um, oh, it was the uh, Seamus Coleman goal. Yeah, the it? Seamus Coleman yeah, goal. The one that, where, yeah, one goal of the week a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, where he was just in no man's yeah. land. Like he um, was expecting the cross and Coleman beat him but, near post yeah. from a weird angle. But a really, really powerful lob from from Johnny. I mean, like 45 yards out. I mean, some of those where the keeper's off his line and the, the player tries to chip it. I mean, you sometimes see them just sort of like really put a powerful strike through the ball just to get that sort of angle over. But that from Johnny was just like effectively just a lob um, from yeah. 45 yards. So really, really good goal there. Um, Ellis Sims against Chelsea. Drives into the box and effectively, I think, also came off the bench. And what a great time to grab your first goal for Everton. Um, spent last year on loan at Sunderland. Well, he comes spent, off the bench to score the equaliser against half, Chelsea. He spent the first half of this season on Sunderland and was banging it, banging them in for fun. And um, mm. Sunderland fans were gutted when Everton took him back, but paid an element of dividends think, with that point there. Exactly. Um, yeah, lovely, lovely, uh, lovely finish with his goal. Um, to send the Everton fans into absolute raptures, picking up a vital point against Chelsea at the bridge. Also, Chelsea defending there and goalkeeping, absolutely woeful. Yeah, <laughs> like genuinely, genuinely trash. I mean, we'll see some poor defended this weekend in the Premier anyway. Yeah, um, and then I'm just good. I don't. It won't win it because it's a penalty at the end of the day. But JWPs against Spurs, top bin pen, uh, top bins penalty to equalise limbs and then it was just because it also led to one of the as I've already mentioned in the pod one of the all-time managerial sort of meltdowns I think that deserves an honourable mention in goals of the week yeah I think whenever you're taking a penalty fairly like towards the end of a game and it's 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 not like one in the 20th minute where it's like oh you might go one ahead or pull one back it is so vital knowing that the what you (laughs) score will determine the outcome of the game in particular I think for him to step up in the 93rd minute and be able to put it away the way that he did um, was absolutely brilliant from him. Yep. Um, yeah, that's 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 my shortlist. I don't know if you had any any other sort of outliers. I'll be honest. I watched all the games so long ago that yeah. <laughs> I can't quite remember 
for, for the benefit of the tape, we are recording us on a Wednesday because my work schedule has completely screwed me over. But yeah. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, you covered in terms of the Newcastle game. I think, yeah, those good goals. I, I really like Dennis's trip over the top, but yeah. they lost the game. So loser. Yeah. Um, obviously, Bournemouth didn't help themselves with the Villa goals, but the Villa goals were good. Although Buendia scored, didn't he? And I can't stand that little Argentine uh, I don't think I think it was a, a deflected shot anyway, and so was um, so was Mings's. Yeah, I, I just don't like Emmy Brandier one bit. Um, but no, I think they're perfectly all good picks. So um, I think it's just up for you to decide and uh, give a verdict and hand out the award. Um, off the record, this is again really tricky because I'm trying to remember some of the other goals as well. I've written down the notes in terms of what the actual goal was, but I'm trying to remember it sort of like what actually happened. Um, it's really tough. Um, yeah, really, really tough decision. Some good goals, as you mentioned already. Dennis won't be able to win it, unfortunately, because Forrest lost the game. And also, Johnny's is Jack Harrison's was pretty good this week, wasn't it? Jack Harrison was pretty good. I can't remember why I didn't write that down. And then um, well, I also liked, um, just because if we're talking about woeful defending, um, Luke Ayling's he- diving header back post, completely unmarked. Like, completely he just unmarked. Came, he just came wandering he, around from behind. Yeah, all he had to do was put that on target. And that's, that's yeah, in the back of the Harrison's net. first um, yeah, first time effort was pretty good. Oh God, there were so many good goals in a six-goal thriller. Um, but yeah, I think... I, I think there were none that were so stand out yeah. for me that were amazing, but there were a lot of very good goals. So that's what yeah, made it a very good goals. this week. I I was sort of edging towards Isaac just purely because of the improvised finish, but I've sort of given that type of goal last week to Triori. So I want to try and sort of not go for the same goal twice in two weeks. So in that case, I will I'm gonna go for Christensen against Wolves. Just because of the close control and technically that was just such a such a good finish. I think that is a very worthy winner there. So a good pick for this week's goal of the week. Now it is time for our Fab Four contest, the competition that pitches our score prediction skills against one another. Tom, for once you have had an absolutely exceptional game week, with you probably having the single best game week that either of us have ever had in this game. And with two absolutely spot-on correct scores um, in both the Newcastle game and the Villa-Bournemouth game. Um, That has now pulled you level with me so we are now both sitting on 39 points, both <sighs> one point clear, well, one, needing one point for um to reach that golden 40-point mark that everyone in football is aiming for. Um, you have now been... in a relegation battle. You have now been allocated 30 seconds to be able to gloat about it. Your time starts now. Booyah! <laughs> Honestly, that... When I saw the Forest game come through, I was like, yeah, okay, good week. I've got off to a good start, correct score. And then just completely forgot that I put down Villa Bournemouth as a 3-0. Then saw that sort of in the um in the get in the in the show notes. And honestly, like 39 all with what is it, like 10, 10 weeks to go of the 10 game weeks to go of the season. It's all on. And that is your 30 Hold seconds on. up. Thank you for your input in this section. No, I'm joking. Um, yeah, it was really good. Two yeah. great, <laughs> two really... The thing is, when you look at the results and you kind of go, ah, oh, I should have predicted those. Like, I, Villa Bournemouth, I put 3-1, you put 3-0. I think I gave Bournemouth the benefit of that they might score one goal because they had a couple of decent yep. games recently. <laughs> um, and then Wolves-Leeds, ne- let's be honest, neither of us saw Leeds absolutely trouncing that one, so that's hard to no. predict. Leicester Brentford. Yeah. Leicester Brentford. Um, you went for the Brentford win to end that awful run against Leicester. I on the other. Which hand, I think I was sensible. Yeah, and I thought maybe Brentford might double down on their uh, loss of um, their hot streak, and then Forest Newcastle. I just I just backed Forest at home, which was a little <laughs> bit naive of me. So, um, it's a shame, but well, it's a shame for me. But well done you, because they are they are two fantastic predictions and has suddenly made it extremely tight between us both 
Like that is that is mad close now. Yeah. With uh with thirty nine points apiece. This is this is a bigger battle than the relegation fight right now. Um hopefully I come out on top of both, uh, but <laughs> I'm not so certain about either. Um, we would love to, well, at this point, I'd love to get you to read out the get fixtures for next week, but we have an international break. So <clears throat> it does feel a weird time, but I think it'll That's give always Roy, March, isn't it? Yeah, it'll give Roy some time to go back to back to Palace and reevaluate things. And uh, a couple of teams that have had a bit of a poor run of form, they might be able to um, hopefully. Yeah. It means me having two weekends of not watching Liverpool lose. So. That is also a benefit to the whole affair. Um, but of course, we will be doing an episode next week where we will be predicting another four games for the Fab Four contest. Um, but incredibly tight. Not many game weeks to go now, Tom. And um, it's still all to play for. All the marbles. It is indeed. And with that, we are at the end of this episode of The Other 14 Podcast. Tom, thank you for joining me on this week's episode. You're welcome. And thank you to everyone for downloading and listening to this week's pod. Please subscribe to us and give us a rating on your podcast platform of choice. And also do recommend us to your friends, family and other 14 fans. That is the only way that we get new listeners. And why wouldn't you want to share this joyous experience of listening to the pod with the people you know and care about and so it's goodbye from me and it's a goodbye from me and we will see you on next week's episode of the other 14 podcast <laughs>